everyone's trying to compete with TikTok. So YouTube shorts and Instagram reels have a lot of organic reach just because they're trying to take market share away from TikTok. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is the one and only Mark Carpenter. Mark, how are you doing? Excellent. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you. Man, we've been chit-chatting. We decided we better hit the record button so that we actually have some time to record something before we run out of time today. Mark is a serial storyteller, and as a child, he loved telling stories, mainly to get attention, but leveraged that ability into a career in marketing, communications, and public relations, and as a college professor and a corporate facilitator. And now he teaches people how to more intentionally tell stories that teach, lead, sell, and inspire to accomplish business and personal goals. And he's the co-author of Master Storytelling, how to turn your experiences into stories that teach, lead, and inspire. And also the Master Storytelling Workshop. But I wanted to ask you, why did you write the book Master Storytelling? Well, as you, as you can probably guess, Matt, there's a story that's uh, leading up to that. Uh, <laughs> there better be. That's just what I do. All <laughs> it, right. It's interesting. It was about, oh, I think about six or seven years ago now, I, I helped a friend with a book that he was writing. Uh, I, I basically ghost wrote the book for him and then he did the edits on it. And I got to the end of that process and I said to my wife, I kind of got the book writing bug. I, I want to write a book, but I don't know what my book is. And she looked at me and goes, oh, I know what it is. And my first reaction was, what? how can you know what it is if I don't know what it is? <laughs> and she said, no, 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 I got this. You've got to write a book about how you just take everyday experiences and turn them into stories that teach lessons and inspire people to action. There you go. And I looked at it and went, yeah, that's not a book. I said, there's no book there. I said, that's just what people do. And she goes, no, no, no. You do this very naturally. The rest of us don't. A lot of people don't do it naturally. And so you need to write a book that teaches us how to do that. And I started talking to more people about it. And they were like, yeah, that'd be a great book. I'd love that book. And talked to my good friend, Daryl Harmon, about it. And he's my, he's my co-author now. So the two of us ended up writing this book based on that. Really, the, the start of it was that conversation with my wife about what's my book. Nice. Your wife is a predictive algorithm. Yeah, there you go. We were talking about before the show started. And I don't want to give it, leave everybody out like we have some kind of inside joke, but we were actually just talking about predictive algorithms and how they, you know, how things follow you around the Internet or how it predicts things that you want, shows you ads for them. So that's where we were going with that angle. Yeah, it's a, it's a little kinder and gentler when it's my wife uh, predicting, predicting my outcomes than it is the Internet. <laughs> You know, there's a story of the early Facebook marketing. And since we're talking about storytelling, this kind of fits our, our, our genre here. So you used to be able to run ads to an email list as small as 100 people on Facebook. And it would find those 100 people and it would show them these ads. And for most people, they don't understand why that's a bad thing. But we can get into the evils of it some other day. However... What someone did is they took the roommate's email and they put it in this list and then they made up 99 fake email addresses. 
So they were running ads just to their roommate. And he would write these really, really, like, strangely accurate ads just for their roommate, just to torture them because they're college students. (laughs) So it'd be like... If you're wearing a brown jacket with a banana in your right pocket, this product is for you kind of thing. And he'd be at school with his jacket, with his banana in his pocket. And he'd be like, oh, my God, that's super predictive. (laughs) (laughs) If you're dating a girl named Janice, you know, anyway. (laughs) Well, okay, so that's a classic example of how everything can be used for either good or evil. It's true. Right. And, and I, uh, storytelling even fits in that same category. I, I've worked with people who are like, yeah, I need to find a story that manipulates these people to do this thing that I want. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to help you with that. But, it, but the, you, know, the, you know, like anything, it can be used for positive outcomes or it can be used for selfish outcomes. Well, and you should also be aware of that so that it doesn't get used against you. You know, just like, uh, you know, a book like Persuasion where it talks about subconscious persuasion tactics. If you know what they are, it's really hard to fall for them. Right. And and I always look at the difference between persuasion and manipulation as the intent. Yeah, it is. hundred percent. If my intent is to, to do you harm or to do me more benefit than you, that's manipulation. If, if it's to benefit both of us, that's persuasion. And so that, that's that's one of the things that we, we talk about with with storytelling is that this is a great tool for persuasion, but don't use it for manipulation. So what does the if somebody wants to, you know, they have some kind of a business outcome, what's the first step in kind of figuring out what stories they should be telling or how to, you know, structure that story? Like what's step one? I I think step one is who are you going to be talking to? Who, who is your audience that you're telling that story to? Because that will determine which story you tell and how you tell that story, because you want to tell a story that connects to the audience that you're talking to. If I'm talking to, uh, let's say an audience of uh, computer engineers, I'm not going to want to use the same kind of medical terminology that I would use if I was talking to a group of nurses. And so the the first step is know who your audience is so you can understand what's going to resonate with them. And to me, that is a number one in in identifying what story you're going to tell is who you're talking to. And now the I mean, your the kind of tagline of your book is turn your experiences into stories that teach, lead, and inspire. How do you know which experiences are the ones you want to try to turn into stories? Yeah, I get this question all all the time, but it's in the form usually of nothing ever happens to me. I don't have any experiences that I can turn into stories that teach, lead, and inspire. And I think there's a little proximity bias in that. I'm too close to my own life, and so it seems pretty mundane. I tell people to just pay attention to the moments in your life where you have an emotional reaction. And and it could be any emotion. It could be frustration. It could be joy. It could be uh, humor. You find something very funny. It could be something that leads you to be angry. What what is that emotion? Those emotional experiences, those experiences that have some emotion attached to them, 
there is likely a story embedded in it. There's a lesson there. There's something that you can pull out of that. If you pay attention to those emotional moments in your life and then think about, okay, what's the lesson learned based on that experience that led to that kind of reaction that I had? An interesting thing that we run into a lot with the marketing agency is, you know, somebody wants us to create advertising for them. And then we need to know, you know, kind of what's the story of your company and your origin story and your product story and, you know, all these things. And they're just like, I don't know, you know, we sell chairs or something. Right. And you're like, no, no, no. There's more to this. Right. And, you know, something and I, maybe I'll get your opinion on this, but something that I ran into probably five years ago now, this was before the whole Donald Miller story brand thing kind of was a thing, right? But his early podcast episodes, they were talking about story. And he was saying that, you know, your story doesn't have to be like documentary true, right? Like there's nothing wrong with saying a business anecdote that didn't necessarily happen to you, right? Or even taking... Half of the story is your story and half of it's something you heard somewhere and you put those together and you say, this is the story of this brand or this product, right? Like you're not documenting it. You're not a historian. Yeah. And, and, and I'll take that uh, kind of a step further. I, you, you don't have to include every detail of your story. And, and I think that's part of what you're getting to, Matt, is, is that you may have had this experience or you were talking about the origin story. Okay, of, of an organization, you, everybody's got an origin story, but you don't need to tell every detail to every audience. And that, that again, goes back to knowing who your audience is. And I, and I know, I know from a marketing and advertising standpoint, that's the first thing you want to know too. Who, who are we actually talking to here so that we can communicate in a way that they'll understand it. Now, I always encourage people to tell their most authentic story. I think we all have experiences. We all have stories that we can tell. But can you emphasize some details over other details? Absolutely. And that's going to depend on who you're talking to and what's the message that you want to get across. Because not every detail is going to be pertinent for every message that you want to get across to people. That's true, too. Now, there's been kind of a shift in the Internet world, especially kind of more recently. And this... It's sort of on topic, but we might be, you know, stretching a little. But you've got this kind of combination of things happening. One of them is kind of the zero-click platform, which is like over half of Google searches don't end up in a click anywhere off of Google. Bing is about 35%. You've got essentially no links from Instagram, except for bio links. And then Facebook and LinkedIn de-emphasize posts with links in them to the point that nobody sees them most of the time. Even saying LinkedIn comments and stuff is usually a failure. So you've got all these platforms that discourage linking out of them. And then you've also got like the new we were talking briefly about TikTok and and the vertical video on like reels on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, Snapchat stuff we didn't talk about, but it's kind of going the same way. All of this stuff combined is kind of 
taking the old kind of customer avatar approach of your client, you know, saying, well, my client is like Janet and she's 47 and has two kids who are teenagers and, and yada, yada, yada. And, and knowing all this kind of information about how to know your customer, because that was used for targeting. And now you can't target that way anymore. Right. So I wonder how knowing your customer is shifting due to all these technological shifts that are happening where you can't use the same tactics anymore. I don't know. This is kind of a roundabout question, but I guess what I'm saying is the times they are changing. So, you know, how do we use storytelling to hone in on our customers when we can't use that same old, oh, okay, well, my customer's like this and this and this, so I can pick those three things in Facebook and say go and pop in my credit card and find them. Right, and, and I think it's changing more to my customer have the has the, this democrat, demographic personality or profile to my customer needs this. What, what does my customer need? What is my customer looking for? What's the problem I can solve for them? And then to, to your point about TikTok and, and, and just the, the, the video use on all of the social media platforms that, that's risen to the forefront these days. How can you quickly tell that story in a, in a video format? Can, can you tell it succinctly? Because that's the other thing, going back to your example about what's, what's the company's origin story. Well, some people want to tell you know, an epic tale that uh, lasts 45 minutes about their origin story. No, you have more like 45 seconds to really capture somebody's attention. Yeah, and if so that. If you, yeah, if that. So if you understand this is their need, how can I catch their attention so they will listen to me enough to understand how I can help meet their need? Then you've got the story that's going to have the impact that you want it to have. Now, does your story need to, because I mean, we're getting pretty short on stories, right? I mean, the average TikTok's 15 to 30 seconds, right? Say the reels, 30 seconds kind of thing. I mean, how many story kind of structure points can you hit in such a short period of time, right? Is that changing the structure of stories or what is what we're doing kind of the movie trailer version of our stories so that we can get them somewhere else to tell them the whole story. Yeah. And I don't think it's changing, changing the structure so much as it's consolidating the structure. Instead of trying to go through eight, 12, however many steps, I think you can think of just like three steps to get to the story that you're trying to tell. And, and that's fairly easy for people to, to get uh, to, to structure to take their experience and structure into a story. We try to keep it very, very simple. And in, in our book, we focus on just three main main chunks of your story that you can get to fairly concisely. And part of it is, can you capture their attention enough up front to say, this person is connecting with me. I can connect to that story. I can connect to this storyteller. I tell a story sometimes about, driving on the freeway on the way to the airport on a Sunday afternoon. And I look in my rear view mirror and there's a police car right behind me. Now, how many people can relate to that? Almost everybody, anybody who drives, and it may not be a Sunday afternoon. It may be not be on the way to the airport, but if you've driven for any length of time, you've looked in your rear view mirror and seen a police car and the police car behind me did not have its lights on. And so that's, that's a very, very common situation. All of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, you're going to get pulled over. And you're into the story with me just with that super quick introduction. So that's what you need to understand is 
the first thing that you get to in a story is to set up a relatable situation for your audience that they can relate to this. And then they want to hear, they will listen a little bit longer if you can make that relatability with them right up front. Yeah, I think that's 100% true in modern kind of videos is, man, you got you have such a short span to kind of get somebody interested because the flick of the finger to get to the next video is is about a second and a half. Yep. And I see this a lot, right? And we've kind of monitored some people, you know, using apps, just not in any scientific way. Just like, hey, show me your TikTok feed. I'd like to see what kind of stuff you get versus what I get. And I can see them. If somebody, a video comes up, it doesn't have anything immediately engaging about it. And the person's like pausing for a minute, like they're going to say something in like a couple seconds. They just flick, they skip and it's gone. And no one's ever going to see that, right? Once a handful of people flick that away and it's gone, no one else is going to see it either because the engine's going to say nobody wants to see this video. Yeah. And, and why does that happen? I, I, I honestly think that a lot of why that happens is because so many people have made videos that they've tried to suck us into, have gone on too long without making a point, aren't relevant to me. And so I've been... I've been burned, wasting time watching 15, 20, 30 seconds of a video. I'm going, this, this isn't for me. That time gets shorter and shorter. And I just assume, unless that person hooks me immediately, that what they have to say is not pertinent to me. Right. And I watch a lot of YouTube. I actually, I'm at the point now where I think I watch more YouTube than television at all. Not that I watch very much television either. You know, we'll watch like a Netflix show or something, you know, one episode of something a night you know four or five days a week kind of thing you know if you're working 12 hours a day at your marketing agency you don't get to watch tv anymore but i watch a lot of youtube because i can watch it while i'm having a coffee or something right i got five minutes i can watch a little video and they are really good at especially the larger channels you can tell because the biggest metric they go by is watch time so they are trying to make you watch longer and th because that is what the algorithm uses to determine if other people are going to see that content or not. And other people seeing the content is what gets you advertising dollars for your monetization, which puts money in your pocket. So they optimize for that thing. Right. And they will like the video will start and they'll be like. Well, we're going to try and break the world record for the largest elephant toothpaste explosion. And you won't believe what happened when we did it. You watch this to the end because you won't want to miss it. And like you immediately know what's going to happen in like five seconds. Right. And then you watch a 15 minute video about the ridiculous science experiment they do. Right. Or whatever it is. Right. Whatever the video is. But, you know, or there's that uh, another kind of one I see a lot is something, I guess, where they're. They're saying, let's discover this together, right? And this you see a lot in those videos of like, will it blend? And like the guy that cuts all the shit in half, I can't remember what his name is, of his channel. And they'll be like, what's inside a bowling ball? Well, let's find out, you know, and we're going to cut this in half. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you can hook people right up front. Now, again, it goes back to audience too. Because for me, if I see that and I go, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what's inside a bowling ball. I'm gone. 
and, and, and I'm out. So you, you have to you have to think about who's the audience you want to get to. It goes back to what we were talking about, too, about manipulation versus persuasion or, or influence. And you I, I worry that sometimes people say, I'm so concerned about the algorithm here that I'm going to set this video up to meet the algorithm, but not to meet the need of anybody who's watching it. And they may get a lot of views on their video. They may get some advertising revenue off that, but they're not going to get sustainable business off of that because they aren't going to make the connection with their people uh, or with the people that they really serve. So we, we really do try to focus on how can you use this to teach, lead, and inspire? How do you use storytelling to accomplish those goals, which are positive goals in leadership positions, even in, even in sales positions, to help make the connection to the people that you're talking to so you can serve each other better. And let's, you know, let's step back a minute from, you know, video platforms and social media and stuff in an in-person setting, right? Or I guess it could be zoom or whatever also, but you know, if you run a company and you have a bunch of staff and it can be difficult to keep your staff motivated on task, get everybody rowing the same direction have everybody understand what the purpose of the business is, you know, especially if you have a very purpose driven culture at your business or you're trying to achieve that. Is it the same method of storytelling in that, you know, format as you would do? Or is it is there a change there because it's in person? No, it, it, it really is the same format. It's the, it's the same structure. You may be able to take a little more time with it in person than you would on a on a social media video. But I, I know a company that every time they have a company meeting, they do what they call a culture moment. And they tell a story of someone who did something within the company that emphasizes or that exhibits or demonstrates the company's culture and values. And those are the kind of stories that do exactly what you were talking about, Matt. They get people connected to this is why I'm here. This is who we are as an organization. This is what we want to do to the people that we serve. This is how we want to help them. And those stories have greater impact than putting the sign up again and everybody, you know, citing in unison what our values are or, or things like that. That story will have greater impact in connecting people to the organization's values than anything else that you can do. I heard an interesting story along those lines. They wanted some way to come up with their staff to, to have an example for the staff of how do we want to treat the people who come into our company or store or customer service, that kind of thing. And they came up with this idea, well, who has the best service, you know, of anywhere we've been, who has the best service? And, you know, the management were like, well, it's definitely the Ritz Carlton hotels, right? They have the best service. And so what they did is they kind of like had this messaging that they sent out to all their staff and everybody and told them, you know, we want to have service like the Ritz Carlton. And, you know, six months down the road, nothing's changed. And they had a consultant come in and he surveyed all the staff and he had a very simple survey. And it was, has it ever, have you ever been into a Ritz Carlton hotel? And the answer was no from everyone. Right. So. He's like, send your staff to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Of course, they can't send everybody. They got like hundreds and hundreds of staff members. So what they did is they had a contest, and the winner of the contest got to take his family and stay at the Ritz-Carlton. And they stayed there, and they came back, and then they told everybody about what a wonderful experience they had and how they were treated. And so 
it actually improved their customer service at their company and their sales. So what they did is they started sending one family of their employees every month. And, and eventually everybody got to go to the Ritz-Carlton and, and experience the service. But the storytelling there is actually there's there's almost kind of like two stories going on, right? There's the story of the, you know, the managers were trying to improve service, but they're kind of out of touch with the staff, right? But there's also the story of of the staff getting to go and being rewarded and then learning from the experience and, and passing that on. And you made, you made such a great point there that they can't send every employee to the Ritz-Carlton. They can't afford that. But they can get the same effect by that by sending one employee in their family a month and having them come back and tell their story. Absolutely. Because now this is my peer. This is my coworker. And as they tell the story of the great service that they got, I feel a connection to that because I'm kind of like this person. It, it puts It creates a vicarious experience for me where I'm there with you in that story and I'm feeling that level of customer service myself. And so now when I think about how can I serve people like they do at the Ritz-Carlton, I'm not just thinking that thought, I'm thinking that story, I'm thinking that example. And I, and I have something more concrete that I can actually act upon and change my behavior around because of that experience that I lived through my coworker and the story that they told. The vicarious living story. Now, let me ask you this. If you have a company, and and, I, and we had talked about this a little bit before the show too, actually, but you get a lot of companies who say, I don't really have a story. What I do is boring. Or it's something where there is a very, very heavy competition industry where everybody says similar things like mortgage, real estate, plumbers, electricians, tradespeople. You know, how do you find a story for somebody in those kinds of examples? Yeah. And I would have them tell me, OK, give me an example of something that someone did in your organization that demonstrates how you're different than all those other people within your industry. Now, if, if they're not, then that's hard. But but usually even like in a, you brought up the mortgage industry, even in the mortgage industry, there are, are organizations that have specific niches that they, that they look at. OK, They're, they or they have a special we provide better service or we do this faster or we there, there's something in there. And so I would have them just share with me an example of when one of your employees did something that demonstrates how you're different than everybody else. And they'll usually share an experience with me and I'll say, there's your story. So now let's craft it. Let's craft that into something that can be told succinctly and with power that people can connect to because they want that more than anything else that they're going to get from your competitors. This is how you're going to stand out. P.S. Your competitors are probably out there saying we can close mortgages in this number of days. We have this is our fee structure. This is what we do. And they and they just make these general statements. If you tell the story, you're going to stand out above the people that are just sharing uh, features, benefits and data. Yeah. And, you know, people selling features, benefits and data is basically everyone. Right. Yeah. You get in this world now where, you know, I, I call it the Google result world is somebody needs something. So they Google it. And then every single listing that comes up looks identical because, I mean, 
it doesn't matter if they have a logo or something beside it now, like they do in some cases, but I mean, who cares, right? It's a couple lines of text with a few bold words that you typed in, bolded in the description or whatever, and every one of them looks identical, right? So unless you can kind of begin telling a story in a unbelievably succinct manner, I mean, what have you got? Two or three lines of text in a Google, you know, from your website for somebody to look at it from Google. And, you know, a great example of that from a while back, we had a spa that was a client of ours. And every single advertisement for massages said the same thing, right? It'd be, a, we do deep tissue or Swedish massage or hot stone massage. Or this first massage, $39. And somebody else's is 36 and somebody's 37 and, and whatever. So we changed ours. We made our, our ad said, massage 2.0, you it's time to graduate from regular massages. And it was 100% different. There you go. Now, now you've got something that helps you stand out. And, and without that, what are people going to make their decision based on? It's going to be price. Right. They're just going to call everyone until somebody answers the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Starting with the cheapest. Or, yeah. And, and, and that's where they'll usually start is if everybody's sharing the same features and benefits, they're they're going to shop price. And that's a tough market to compete in if you're only competing on price. But if you compete compete on a differentiator, and that's a great example because now all of a sudden I want to know, okay, what's massage 2.0? What, what's, what's the graduated level? And now I'm interested. And I may actually pay more for massage 2.0 because it's going to give me something that other people don't give me. And honestly... It was just really being able to describe how the whole process of massage works better than everybody else did. You know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of this super old school marketing one that you learn in every marketing book in the world is the whole idea of Coors being the first one who said we're cold filtered beer when every beer was cold filtered because that was the only way to make beer at the time. Right. But they said it. So now if anybody else said it, they're just copying them. Unfortunately, on the Internet now, everyone can copy everyone else in a second. So, you know, as soon as you come up with something, somebody else is going to duplicate that. So you better have a good story that you can back up. Yeah. And, and that's really where, where the story, I think, comes in, too, is when you're making the personal connections. You, you need to, to get somebody's attention enough that they're going to talk to you. But can you tell the story when you're talking to them? I, I worked with a group of, of sales associates a while back and the, their, their first kind of negative reaction to the concept of storytelling was, well, I can't just not share features and benefits. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not saying you, you don't ever do that. But how are you going to make the connection to the person that is less interested in the features and benefits and more interested in the outcomes? And I had somebody from that group come back to me a couple of weeks after that session and say, I have finally got the attention of somebody I've been working with for months. And I did it by telling them a story. And that that's where you're going to break through people, particularly when you get beyond just commodity product products. And I'm saying, you know, if I'm going to a vending machine to get a candy bar. Yeah, I don't need a great story to, to, to buy the candy bar from the vending machine. But if I have to talk to a person, I'm going to make that buying decision based on my interaction with that person much more than on features, price and benefit in comparison to other people. It's that connection that we make. And that's what storytelling does is storytelling connects us as, as human beings, because what are our lives 
other than just a collection of little stories that, that we go through ourselves. And if we can relate those to another person, they're going to be connected to us and they're going to want to buy from us. Absolutely. Everything is a story. It's how people learn. It's how they learned before language was created, right? If it wasn't a story, it was music, and the music was just telling a story to a beat, basically. There you go, right? M- music is just lyrical story. <laughs> right. It's just lyrical story. And, you know, sometimes the music can tell a story without lyrics, but it's still telling a story, right? And it's interesting what you said about commodities is, and, you know, I talked about this in my last book also, but if you're in a commoditized industry, you need to actually use the story to make yourself above the level of all the other commoditized products. Yeah. In order for you to stand out. Right. Like, I mean, the Coors one's a perfect example. Every light beer is essentially the same. I mean, there's some minor flavor differences, you know, and some people really like one versus another. And I understand that. However, the, the marketing behind it is what usually gets people to try one which gets them to like that one, yada, yada, yada. And it goes from there. It's the story that sells it. Right. Right on. That's, that's why they spend so much on those Super Bowl ads. Right? I mean, if it was just commodities, then why would anybody bother to advertise? Right. Like, why would Coke and Pepsi bother when, you know, caramel flavored soda is just cola? Right. Why don't you just buy a can of whatever cola instead of a Pepsi or a Coke? And it's the story that creates the the connection to that product. And and, it, and it's how that story relates to the person, to the individual. And and so when I have that cola, it's not just a drink for me. It's a it's part of who I am. It's my personality I because I've connected into the story of that product. And then your brain associates the sugar rush and the caffeine rush with the story and the positive impact of the story. And then you write your own story to tell yourself that you need more of that thing. And that supports the story that has bought me into it in the first place. That's right. I, I, I'm going to have that bias of, oh, yeah, let me support that I am this type of person that that product is promoting. And then I'm going to add to that story with my own experience with that product. Absolutely. I'm the type of person who drinks Coke, right? Or I order rum and Coke, not rum and Pepsi, right? And and those are, I know this is drink examples. I promise I'm not an alcoholic. I don't go drink all the time. I just, the Coors one tipped me off <laughs> the story. But I mean, obviously that doesn't, work for for every kind of commodity thing in the world but there's tons of examples out there of uh i like to think about we used to go to whole foods when i lived in the united states because they had some stuff that we like to get and there was a kind of eggs that was a dollar more than the other of the same kind of eggs but this one when you opened it up it had a little card in it that talked about one of the farms that the eggs came from and it had like a picture of a chicken on it and it had like little like facts about chickens that you could tell your kids and little you know like a little cartoon on the back and everything this piece of paper cost them a fraction of a penny but i bought a dollar more of dozen of eggs every time I went there because I had the stupid little card in it and I liked it. And, and, and that's an example of a story. They're, they're telling you a little story with those eggs. The eggs on their own, you're left to tell your own story. 
But with those eggs, they've given you a story that now you can connect to. So those, the story of those eggs are now part of your life because now you're bringing that farm, those chickens into your home. And try to bring home a box of cereal for your small child that has a toy in it. And then the next week, bring home a box of cereal with no toy and see what happens. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I, would, not, I would not like <laughs> to see what happens in that situation. And those toys are worthless. I know they're plastic garbage. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the symbol of it. Uh, it uh, just a funny experience I had last month. I went with my son and my, uh, my uh, one of my grandsons to a basketball game. And this was my grandson's uh, fifth year birthday. Okay, he turned five on that day. Well, they had this little dance competition that they put on the Jumbotron. And I was encouraging him to dance just to get on the Jumbotron. I thought he'd think that was fun. And sure enough, he got on the Jumbotron and he won the competition. Nice. Well, what did we get? We got a $25 gift card to the team store. So we got to go to the team store and buy, buy him a T-shirt. What did the grandson care about? He cared about the card. He wanted the card back. And so we got the card back from the clerk because to him, that was the symbol of his winning this dance contest. He came home and said, look what I won. Look what I won <laughs> to, to the rest of the family. And that had no value on it anymore. But it was a symbol to him of what he had accomplished. And so what are the symbols that we're creating for people that they can connect to that has value to them? That that's what we want to do with our stories. And if you want to know why people buy digital NFT art or any art for that matter, just it's the story and the and, and the meaning behind it. That's why people buy those things. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'm not saying run out and buy yourself a board ape for three million dollars, but you know the the story and and what people tell themselves about the story after hearing a story is probably the most important story. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that's why you need to know your audience because if if I know basically who my audience is, what their needs are, then I can tell a story that connects into them and then it takes up residence in their soul and it becomes part of their original story that they already had and it meshes my story with their story. And then we're connected. We, we, we've, we've got a lock with them. And that makes it easier to teach, lead, and inspire. That's right. And if your story is compelling enough, it will live rent-free in everyone's brain for the rest of their life. You got it. So, Mark, if somebody wants to find out more or they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? I'll, I'll give a couple of options. First is our website which is master-storytelling.com. You have to have a little dash between master and storytelling. And, and that, that's our website. We have a couple of free uh, things there that you can download. You can get the first chapter of the book. Uh, you can get a little document that we call the story catcher that helps you look for stories in your life. How do you collect those moments that could be stories to teach, lead, and inspire? You can also find me, Mark Carpenter, on, on LinkedIn or Master Storytelling uh, on LinkedIn. And I put posts out there pretty regularly of, you know, stories that reach the goal that we purport in our, our book to teach, lead, sell and inspire. And so that's that's another option to look for us. Or you can look for Master Storytelling on Facebook as well. We're on, on all those platforms. Perfect. On all, all the socials. Yep. Until they take posts away, which is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Matt, it's been delightful talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.